0: A question was asked uh, by someone recently How long should a good sermon be? And these wise words were uttered in response It should be like a woman's skirt, long enough to cover the essentials and short enough to keep you interested. <laughs> all right, so if you're laughing at all at that, you've had a eureka moment because, in other words, you got the joke and it. Came upon you. I want to discuss the words, particularly today, Eureka. As you see in our title, we've had an epiphany. Also, I want to discuss epiphany. This is the Feast of Epiphany, as they call it, and we are actually on the right day. It's, uh, as I talk about it, it's traditionally on January the 6th. I want to talk about how epiphany and Eureka intersect in a way that might challenge us in our faith and how we need to take a look at these words The meaning of them, maybe a bit of history around this particular time that we celebrate Epiphany, but I'm hoping it will give us a springboard, if you like, to challenge us into a deeper understanding and expression of our faith this day. Before I do that, though, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of my mind will be acceptable before you and your people, Holy Spirit calm our hearts and minds. It's been a busy time working up to this Sunday, the first Sunday of this year. There's much still to be done and much going on in the life of our congregation. So help us, Lord, to put that aside for a minute and allow Your Spirit to talk to us and teach us and help us to live to You. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So first, the word Eureka, it comes from an ancient Greek word, meaning I have found it, which is the first, you know, it's kind of a verb coming from the verb I find. So Eureka, I found it. And uh, the exclamation Eureka is most famously attributed to the Greek, ancient Greek scholar Archimedes. He reportedly, as the story goes, proclaimed Eureka, I have found it, When he stepped into a bath, and noticed how the water level rose. And then he suddenly understood that the volume of water displaced must be equal to the volume of the part of his body he had submerged. Perfectly logical to us today, but it was a eureka moment for him at that particular time. This relationship, as I said, was unknown up until this point. He realized that the volume of irregular objects could be measured, therefore, with precision, a previously intractable problem. He is said to have been so eager to share his discovery that he leapt out of the bathtub and ran down the streets of Syracuse naked. Archimedes' insight led to the solution of a problem posed by hero of Syracuse on how to assess the purity of an irregular-shaped golden crown. He had given his goldsmith the pure gold to be used and correctly suspected that he had been cheated by this goldsmith who was removing the gold and adding the same weight of silver. Equipment for weighing objects already existed, and now that Archimedes could also measure volume, their ratio would give the object's density, and thereby showing that he had silver instead of gold, because it weighs more, uh, in this crown. Eureka. All right, the word epiphany comes from a Greek word, manifestation or striking appearance. And it's an experience of sudden and striking realization. So it's almost like Eureka, but a little bit different. And generally the term is used to describe a scientific breakthrough, or religious or philosophical discovery. And uh, it can apply to any situation in which an enlightening realization allows a problem or situation to be understood from a deeper perspective. So you can understand what I'm saying. Epiphany... Uh, Eureka is that first spark. Epiphany is a deeper, a deeper understanding of that. Epiphanies are studied by psychologists and other scholars, to particularly those attempting to study the process of process of innovation. So again, explaining that it's not just that this hey I figured out how something works. It's understanding the process of it. It's important that we understand this, in particular, because it's a little bit different, say. Uh, for us, when we're thinking about epiphany in relation to Christ, it's, it's a, a deeper understanding of him. It's not just that eureka moment, but it's an epiphany, the deepening of our understanding of him. The word epiphany originally referred to insight through the divine, so something spiritual that took place that deepened a spiritual understanding. And today, it's not quite directly connected to that, but it still remains something maybe supernatural, as the discovery often some seems to come suddenly from the outside. It's in the words, it's something that just kind of floats in and opens us up. The word's secular use may owe some of its popularity to James Joyce, who expounded on its meaning in the fragment uh, Stephen Hero in the novel, A Portrait from the Artist as a Young Man, referring to those times in his life when something became manifest, a deep realization. He would then attempt to write this uh, realization in a, what would be a fragment, if you like. Joyce also used epiphany as a literary device within each short story in his collection of the Dubliners as his protagonist came to sudden recognizations, changing their view of themselves or their condition, sparking a reversal of change. And that's, a, that's a kind of a, a key point for us. Epiphany. You know, it seems that uh, Epiphany this, the really kind of was first referenced, I'm looking at my notes here, in uh, about the 7th century, the 600s. And it was set up as originally called the Feast of Epiphany. And it's just interesting, Gord, because you mentioned that to me just at the back today. Uh, even back into the 7th century, uh, church was all about food. <laughs> we have 12 days of Christmas, and every day is a different feast. As Gord mentioned, celebrating a saint of some kind, we have another feast of the Epiphany. And so, like I say, going back into the seventh century, getting together as Christians seemed to be all about celebrating something about God and food. Twelve Days of Christmas is a festive Christians' season to celebrate the Nativity of Jesus. And we understand the first day of Christmas certainly is the 25th, and the 12 days that follow, end on January 5th, and this, the sixth day of January, is what we would call the epiphany, and we acknowledge that through this reading that we have in Matthew. It talks about the Magi coming to the Christ child, and it's an acknowledgement by outsiders of Jesus' physical manifestation, as Paul puts the word Gentiles, because all Gentile means is non-Jewish. Uh It's an acknowledgement outside of that limited community that there is a king has been born and something is different in this world. Christian writers often also inferred a revelation to the children of Israel by this particular time period. The star, the manger, or the house where Jesus was living. the star guiding them, this all directly connects to prophecy that we find in Isaiah, and which is what we were reading about today. It's supported by Psalms, like the royal psalm that we read, Psalm uh, 72. If we put these two words together, Eureka and Epiphany, we get a compound sentence that I've made up here. I found it, Eureka, and it's a vision of God. And I think they fit nicely. I found it. It's a vision of God. We want to think about, and I'd like us all to think about, if we've had and when we had that moment in our lives. When was that moment for all of you, including me, when that eureka and epiphany kind of took place for us in our relationship with God? Was it something quiet? Was it something loud? Was it something private? Was it something public? Was it something that you just always seem to know in your heart? The thing that strikes me all the time about this particular idea is there's a newness. And as we go to church our whole life, many of us, the newness disappears. I guess that's why I'm thinking about That moment when the wise men, the magi, came, put ourselves in there as much as we can in our imagination, there was that quiet moment. They'd been searching for him for quite some time following the star. They came into his presence and there must have been a real sense of some greatness that was taking place that overwhelmed them. There was silence just like this. They finally arrived. They quietly offered their gifts, opened the boxes, and gave them to the parents. That was their first experience with the King Jesus. So what did they do? What did they do? A word that comes up constantly in the the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, it comes up three times. They say it, Herod says it, and it's the word homage. And as I said, I wanted to give some background to different words. And that particular word sticks out for me, because it's a word that we don't understand, I think, in our context today. Homage. It's from an original Greek word, and the best definition that I found for it, it means to kiss. And particularly the way it's defined in the older older text, like a dog licking his master's hand. Not that we're dogs in that sense, but you can understand that idea. It's it's uh, as I've have had in my notes. I took it out, but I want to say it again. That that line I've said before, Lord make me the kind of person my dog thinks I am. You know, dogs look at their owners, you know, with such love. There's a sense of homage being paid there, isn't there? They just, they just want to be with you. They just want to sit on your lap. And if you want a Great Dane, that's a big dog to be sitting on your lap. But Great Danes in particular, I know, that's what they like to do. They still think they're little dogs. They love to cuddle. They just want to be with you. And they're happy to do that. Homage is that intimate relationship that we have with God and what we can do. By quietly sitting with God. Homage also has a lot to do with the times of Middle Ages, if we think of it. It was a ceremony in which a feudal tenant or a vassal pledged reverence and submission to his feudal lord. And then he received all kinds of things because of that. But we don't live in feudal times. That's why I say it's difficult maybe to fully understand this word. The Bible is full of images relating to the Middle Ages. And we have lords and kings and knights and honor and all that sort of thing, Uh, magi even, the word there, they were very real at the time for people to understand. And as I was thinking about, there's two sort of concepts that come out of the Bible that's hard for us sometimes to relate to. It's the agrarian uh, side of things, farming, planting, growing, and then there's this idea of kings and homage and lords. We don't live in a world like that so much. It's difficult for us sometimes to really fully embrace this idea. And so the better way for me, to, for me personally to understand this, and I'm hoping for you to understand this, is to, to go back to that eureka and epiphany moment in your life. When was the first time that you can think of that you learned something new and got excited about it? Maybe it was knitting. You got to to learn how to knit. You learned to play an instrument. You learned a new language. You learned how to turn the TV on with a remote. And you were excited about that. that. It's that first encounter, that first sense of excitement. That's what homage is all about. That's what epiphany really is all about. That's what we want to grasp a hold of today. I want us to grasp a hold of today bowing down in that sense of before Christ, in that newness that we experienced. Sometimes there's a lot of excitement around that. Sometimes there's boisterousness about that. I've been reading about the Great Awakenings that took place over the, from the 1600s forward, four Great Awakenings that took place in the church. And it talks about people rolling around on the floor in the 1600s, by the way, rolling around on the floor in excitement with Jesus singing out loud for no particular reason. We think that's modern times, but it happened in the 1600s and the 1700s and again in the 1800s. People were so excited to have this newness of their life, this experience with Jesus, this moment where they paid homage and something changed. Not all of us roll around on the floor in excitement with God. That's okay. But we have those moments, and I want us to be contemplating those moments just as those wise men came before the King Jesus. That's how I want us to be thinking about this today. That's how we pay homage. And as I said with the children with this star, that's how we tell the world about something new about this gospel. We are the stars guiding people. It's our responsibility as Christian people to do that. And we do that by worshiping God and coming before Him like this, and living for Him, shining that light into the world that desperately needs it. Our world desperately needs the light of Christ, and it's our responsibility to do so. We do that by giving our all, by giving our lives to Him, by giving of ourselves, in that sense, paying homage to King Jesus. We need to be working on this, folks. That's what the challenge is for the coming year, I believe. How can we pray more? How can we live more for Christ? How can we experience that eureka moment again and, and understand it in that same exciting kind of sense? And I don't mean by rolling around on the floor. I just mean that drive that comes from that, that sense of Christ in our lives. This is the epiphany. This is the epiphany of King Jesus. Let us resolve to bow down and pay our Lord and Savior homage in our lives, in our minds, and in our hearts. Amen. The Magi brought gifts to Christ at his nativity, as we've talked about, and offered their lives in worship. And now, with thankful hearts, let us, too, offer ourselves and our gifts to God.